Haiti, the last uh, several centuries of sodomy and drug use have caught up to us here in the Big Apple, and God is really unloading one on us, and it's not fun. I have seen the videos. Is your apartment flooded? You're on the, what, fifth floor? So if so, there's a problem. Not at the moment. There were... um, Water is coming through the closed windows. I'm no general contractor. My understanding is that's not how windows are supposed to work. Yeah, you might want to call somebody who is a general... Actually, no, just call your landlord. That seems like a problem. I did call my landlord. Yeah, they can't... You can't really reseal stuff when it's still raining. So uh, I got some towels. I got some buckets. Dude, is it really that bad? I mean, it's like a steady trickle. And right now it's stopped. But when the rain picks back up again, which it will, there'll be more of it. So yeah, two different windows. Dude, you in New York and... And I like, I really like where I live. I'm lucky to live here. It's not a bad apartment. You just get used to this shit. Like there was no part of me when I, when I was woken up by the tap, tap, tap of the water on my nightstand, like I wasn't even angry. It's just like, well, I live in New York. So I guess now I live in an aquarium. I I do have some sympathy for you. I do live in the Pacific Northwest, which is also an aquarium. And I own my house, so I don't get to like call the landlord when something like this happens. I have to personally replace the windows, which I did last year. You replaced your own windows? Yeah, just myself. And then I had to hire somebody to do it for me because I did such a bad job. No, I didn't do it. I hired somebody. They did a bad job. Then I hired somebody else to fix their their bad job. (sighs) Owning a house is fucking terrible. New York is so dumb, man. We put up with so much shit. Anyway, what is the name of this increasingly waterlogged podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single, and um, I guess our, our two choices are we could talk about the weather for the next hour or so, or you wanted to maybe revisit the uh, American Bully thing. Which which of those should we go with? You know, I would actually rather talk about the weather. I don't really want to revisit the American Bully thing uh, for reasons that people will understand shortly if they don't already, but I feel like I have to revisit the American Bully thing. Why is that? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get there. Why don't we, uh, you were going to start with something short and sweet at the top, something a little funner. Oh, I mean, I just remain like, I haven't yet looked deep into it, but the existence of these Brianna Wu chat logs, uh, for people who don't remember, Brianna Wu is a friend of the podcast in a sarcastic sense. She's sort of a longtime antagonist of more me than you. She's one of the, the few people who like I have... Um, evidence of like this weird rumor mongery thing that went on surrounding me in what, 2019, 2020 when she DM'd you about this. She didn't. Oh, was that her who DM'd me? Yeah. She said what I was into trans. Say? She said I was into trans women. Then no, I kept that's like right. setting up interviews with them just to talk. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. I wasn't quite sure who told me that you were a chaser. I guess it was her. Yeah. And she also said that there was. What was it? That it was like. Let me no, just read it because it was yeah. it was one of this podcast's proudest moments. I have my own Jesse single stories I've never shared publicly. One day I will, and I have receipts. <laughs> I don't know how many sources have to talk about wildly unethical behavior before credible journalists decide not to be associated with someone. I screen cap. It's one of those really long receipts, like a CVS receipt. I, yeah, there's like some prescriptions on there. Uh, <laughs> I, I screenshotted it at the time, and I was like, this sounds super serious. I hope Brianna will reveal whatever information she has on me. It's now been... Um, what, two and a half years? And along the way, you, yeah. I think it was your idea that we should raise money. No, it was not. Whose idea was it? It was not my idea. No, it was a listener. A listener was like, I will pay $1,000 <laughs> for these receipts. And then other listeners chimed in and people on Twitter. And overall, we got like six, pledges of like $60,000 to go to okay, the charity of Brianna Wu's choice. Not, let's not call them if she would provide the pledges. pledges. Someone on Come Twitter on. said they would do yeah. it. Yeah. 
yeah, it was a pledge. That's what a pledge is. I'll do this. Um, bef- but of course, they were like empty promises because she was never going to provide the, the receipts. Yes. And before that, Brianna Wu, like she came to prominent, prominence um, uh, as a Gamergate victim, someone who, who alleged that there had been a lot of harassment directed her way. She got a lot of media coverage out of it. She's later... She ran for office. Ran for office in my wonderful home state of Massachusetts. So she's a very interesting figure, but now all these chat logs have come out. Supposedly, I have not perused deeply, they show her expressing deeply troubling views, such as that there might be a difference. Non-binary is fake. <laughs> I mean, well, the way I was going to put it is such as there might perhaps be a difference between someone crippled by severe lifelong gender dysphoria and someone who gets an eyebrow ring and is like, I'm not a boy anymore, but yeah. he doesn't seem to otherwise, um, which are, these are not... It's complicated. We're talking about communities we're not a part of, but I, I wouldn't say these are rare uh, sentiments. This is something that comes up, but she's getting pilloried for this and for other problematic leaked chats. I don't know where they were leaked from, but uh, it's very interesting to watch because frequently the most toxic people who engage in the most uh, aggressive attempts to get other people into trouble and to call them out for not being morally righteous enough, usually it boomerangs back on them and it's tempting to laugh. We shouldn't laugh. This stuff's all ridiculous. And well, should we laugh? I don't know. Oh, In this case, we laugh. She did. Yes. She literally said, "I have my own Jesse single stories. I've never shared publicly. I've never shared." Also, if she did, isn't she committing a bad act by allowing me to continue to do harm to so many millions of people? Yes. Ima- imagine if Superman was like, "I know the lair of the supervillain who's about to destroy the city." I'm not going to tell you where. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's just like that. Not even for $60,000 to the charity of his choice. The other the other thing I wonder about this is, okay, so we know that Brianna Wu's in this chat with other trans women, I think, and they have these frank conversations about identity. And one of the things that Brianna Wu says is she talks about, yeah, the difference between like transsexuals, trans people, transgender people, and non-binary people. She A lot of what she says is things that I have said on this show. And... It makes me wonder, are there equivalent chats of like problematic non-binary people? Are they talking about how like aces aren't real? <laughs> aces shouldn't be, shouldn't, shouldn't get their own flag, things like that. And then right. who are the aces? What are the problematic ace positions? Ace is real, but aromantic isn't real. Right, right. There's always somebody on the bottom. It's like Orthodox Jews don't think I'm real. I don't think like right. before. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the group right below you isn't real. They're faking it, but we're extremely <laughs> real. What is that for lesbians? Exactly. Well, for lesbians, I guess it's you, you're cruel to non-binary people. That's your thing. Well, I'm the only one left, so the group chat is a, a very quiet. Just you, echo chamber. Anything else about this, Jesse? No, stop stalling, Katie. Let's get to these dogs. So yeah, there was a very loud and in some corners quite angry response to this podcast you mostly did last week. You just have you let it and went into a lot of depth about the so-called American bully or bully XL debate. Yeah, so people were, I would say, howling mad about this. Uh, it was a weird week. Nice. Uh, the episode got a huge response. I'm not going to rehash all of what it was about here, other than to say it was about this recently announced ban of a dog breed called the American Bully XL in the UK. And the group that was really instrumental in getting this ban to happen, the group is called Bully Watch. And what I was really interested in was in sort of the media response to this. Bully Watch has this idea the media lashes onto it. This influences public policy. People just this what we're going to hear today is not going to make any bit of sense unless you actually listen to that episode. So if you haven't, skip this one for now and go back and listen to it. You should really listen to that episode and the two part piece on Keffels and Kiwi Farms if you want the full context. It's 17 part, Jesse. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm joking about that. Don't do that. Don't listen to those episodes. Yeah. So it got very hot. I think some marriages might have broken up. There were like 700 comments on the episode page on our Substack itself. It's 800. 800, it's 800, 800 now. now. Great. Uh, plus a ton on Reddit, maybe even more on Twitter. I'm not going to pretend to have read all of this. I quit reading on probably day three just to preserve what little sanity I have left. But I would say that the response to the episode was not very positive. I did get a lot of nice messages from people who actually study this stuff, but a lot of listeners hated it. And they let me know sometimes by sending me videos of pit bulls ripping people apart. So that was nice to get in my inbox. Uh, there was also this like kind of funny thing that happened when I told people in my life, including like dental hygienist, what was going on. And I was getting a lot of heat about this story I did about pit bulls. Without fail, every single one of them assume that it was Pitbull lovers coming for, for for me, but no, I actually didn't hear much from them, which surprised me considering I made a bunch of jokes about their dogs eating babies, but the, the, the Pitbull, the Pibby mommies were pretty quiet, at least in my inbox. I don't, I, I'm not surprised by that, just because like so much of the point of the episode was that there's more ambiguity to determining breed and to, and to which dogs were responsible for which attacks. Mm-hmm. I could see that if you were someone who was convinced these dogs were a huge problem, and then here comes Katie Herzog with her dumb face, you know, making this quote unquote more complicated than it is. I could I could see why they would respond that way to it. True, but I also said that I was scared of pit bulls and I don't really care if they're banned. Yes. Which is true. I'm scared of pit bulls. So I'm not gonna sugarcoat what this has been like this week or pretend that it didn't affect me. It did. Uh, I thought I was prepared for this. Like I've been here before. My dad warned me what was gonna happen. But it was so much worse than I expected, and it has been super stressful. I've been stressed about losing primos, stressed about the show tanking, about this community breaking apart. I haven't been sleeping. Wait, I woke really? Up one night at, yeah, I woke up one night at 1.30 in the morning and made the mistake of looking at my phone and didn't go back to sleep at all. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning. I'm like, I've been running on like fucking five hours of sleep. I mean, Actually, not since the response started, but since I started working on this story. Can I, I hate this story. <laughs> okay, a couple things. Can I just like, I, can I pull back the curtain a little bit on subscription stuff just sure. to explain like um, this idea that a content creator or podcasters or whoever, any kind of direct subscription thing, that they make an argument that outrages their audience and their audience unsubscribes in droves. I often think it's overstated. I know it's overstated in our case because there was like barely a blip. I think it's just that the people who are mad are so mad and will send emails saying they're unsubscribing. So I just think it might be useful for people to know because I have access to our numbers and I sometimes hear about other instances like that. Like it's not really a thing. This idea that like one bad take, not bad, but one controversial take or episode leads to a podcast nosediving. Like I'm not saying there couldn't be some scandal. Like if people find out that you're legally married to Moose in the state of Washington, that could cause a, a true dip in our subscribers. This didn't. So I hope. Do you think people would have a problem with that? I mean, it'd be a, a heterosexual marriage. God created Eve and Fido, <laughs> not Eve and what, what's a do- female dog name? Fluffy. Fluffy. Uh, so I just, I, it might be useful. Like I, it'd be useful for people to not think that this is a thing that happens that often. Like uh, audience people who pay for. S- something are usually more loyal than that. And that was definitely the case here. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly examples of this, like Steven Crowder. I think he took a massive hit for his various scandals. Then again, I didn't, uh, there's no video of me berating my wife. So uh, at least I didn't do that. Do we know he took a mass? Just in some of these cases, we don't actually know. Do we know he took a massive hit? Well, that's a good point. I don't actually know his 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 raw numbers. Uh, Media Matters did publish an article called "Stephen Crowder's Empire of Hate Collapses," and I'm sure they are the authorities on uh, on his on his metrics. 
Yes, and they would they would never publish something that's false because they fight misinformation in media. Um, right. It's that thing where I mean, some people did announce it on Twitter, but it's that thing where you don't remember the compliments. You know, you remember the hate. So one one negative comment or one negative email, like I'll be thinking about that when I die, and people could say a million nice things. You should. <laughs> that's what you should be thinking about on your yes. deathbed. Is this episode? I got a bad tweet. Yeah. So. We're now we're now well above we're now at a new we're we're like always at our highest point ever because it's just slow steady right. growth but after a little dip we're after the primo yesterday we're back so it just it, what didn't affect that don't worry about that anyway I haven't this is also let me interrupt one more what? time it's funny that this is a very gendered conversation because you're talking about feelings and how this emotionally affected you I'm like ah, look at the graph the numbers <laughs> why go up <laughs> be more robotic I generally am this has been really affecting me maybe it's my hormones anyway I have not been. Distressed about the response to his story since my 2019 magnum no- magnum opus, Jeffrey Hepstein was a hebophile, actually. Uh, <laughs> it sucked. It sucked a lot. And you know this, Jesse, but the thing that makes any kind of internet blow up so stressful is when the anger is coming from your own people, your in-group. And that was the case here. So it wasn't just outsiders who were pissed. I'm used to that. It was this community, our listeners. And so I want to take some time and address some of the criticism here, some of which was valid. So that's what we're going to be doing today. And there is going to be a good bit of new information. I will say this was, since we've launched our podcast, there have maybe been five or six times when I got into some shit bad enough that I was just getting random emails from people like, hope you're doing okay. For I think the first time ever, we got one to our blocked reported podcast at gmail.com account yeah. saying that to you. Like, I hope you're doing okay. I'm like, damn, <laughs> things, I've been off Twitter mostly, but see, things seem to not be going well. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Katie. So where do, where do you want to start with this? There's a lot to uh, grab hold of here. Okay. First, I want to say that this morning in the spirit of de-escalation, I spoke with, I Zoomed with uh, Lawrence Newport. <laughs> I met with several giant, terrifying <laughs> bulldogs. They tore me apart. He was one of the guys from Bully Watch. This was his idea to talk in person and or uh, through a screen. And I thought it was a good one. It's always better to talk in person rather than to trade barbs across the screen, especially publicly. And I think our conversation was productive. I think in general, we agree a lot on a lot. Uh, we're definitely in the same sort of vaguely whatever ecosystem. We still disagree on this particular issue quite a bit, but I think we both have a, a better understanding of where the other person is coming from. I was very impressed with all the work he's done, all of this for free and on his own time. He's clearly a very smart guy, very well informed, and he was cute. So that's the most important thing. Uh, so thank you to Lawrence for suggesting that. Yes, always better to talk to people than yell at them, even if yelling at people is more fun. But but let's let's get into the details here. So what exactly were the criticisms of how you handled this story last week. Okay, so let's just get the dumb stuff out of the way first. So a lot of it was just straight up ad hominem, people claiming that I'm so blinded by my love of dogs that I can't see what's happening. That's Some true. people were even like, true. Some people were even like, yup, dog loving lesbian, what do you expect? I mean, if I like girl dogs, okay, sure, maybe, <laughs> but I don't. And this might surpri- surprise some people, but I think I need to get this on the record. I'm actually not that much of a dog lover in general, despite appearances. I mean, I obviously love moose way too much. It's psychotic. And I get upset when dogs are suffering. You've heard me cry about about uh, behavioral euthanasia, which I actually support on the show before. But I'm not actually some crazy dog lady aside from my own dog, mostly because most dogs shed and I am allergic to getting dog fur on my shirt. And I am definitely not a pit bull lover. I said this several times on the show. They scare me. So I don't think my love of dogs, whatever that is, prevented me from reporting this story fairly. And as usual, a lot of the claims were actually addressed in the story itself. That always happens. But I would say that probably the bulk of the criticism had to do with me trusting Dave Wilson. Dave Wilson was the breeder. 
He was instrumental in developing this breed, the American Bullies. And he told me, and I read elsewhere, that he that American Bullies were bred to be docile. And this just seems so obviously stupid to some people. He's a dog breeder. He's going to lie. And of course, yeah, like there are in, there is an incentive for him to paint these dogs in the best possible light, but I don't think that he was lying. And not because I have some sort of internal lie detector, although he didn't actually strike me as a liar when we spoke, but because it's it's in the public record. And we'll come back to that in a second. But one specific criticism that got a lot of traction was from a guy named Sam Bowman, who supports Bully Watch, and he helped them get a question in a a YouGov survey about banning dogs, banning these dogs in particular. So he tweeted a video of Dave Wilson from some time back talking about the bullies. I knew about this video because Bully Watch sent it to me when I was working on this story. And after the story came out, Sam and Lawrence Newport, the guy from Bully Watch, were like, why didn't you say anything about the video in your story? Anyway, so I explained this on Twitter. I didn't reference this video because nothing nothing he says in the video contradicts anything that he told me. And then Lawrence and Sam were like, okay, but he didn't say in the video anything about these dogs being bred to be docile, which is true. But just because he didn't mention it, it didn't strike me as that was evidence of anything, right? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay, so I'll put the link in the show notes if people want to watch it. But regardless, this mutated into claims that Dave Wilson has been lying about the origins of the breed or that he retconned history in light of these attacks in the UK. But Jesse, as I told you last week, I didn't just take Dave Wilson's word for this when it came to these dogs. I talked to tons of people who have experience with them. Plus, there's the public record. So for instance, here's an article from the San Francisco Gate in 2010. It's called American Bully Dogs Are Bred as Lovers, Not Fighters. So it starts out talking about the perception of pit bulls as fearsome, a perception, by the way, that I share. And then it reads, quote, actually, Jesse, I'm going to be talking a lot. Do you want to read this section? Gino Martinelli, a Castor Valley breeder, trainer, and owner, is on a journey to turn around that image. His boss hog bully kennel breeds American bully dogs, a mix created in 2004 from the American pit bull terrier and Staffordshire terrier lines. The dogs essentially look like pit bulls on steroids, but Martinelli says, without any viciousness, dot, dot, dot. The bully breed was established in 2004 with the express desire to train the aggressive nature out of the animals and reestablish them among the dog breeds that make safe, secure, domesticated pets. Quote, we're trying to breed all of the fight and all of the game out of them, end quote, said Martinelli, who has bred more than half a dozen litters of the dogs. Okay, and that story is from 2010. Okay. Yeah, so this is 2010. I'm not going to go into all of the details. I'll put some links in the show notes. But there are other reports from years ago, years before these attacks started in the UK, that show that this was on the public record. So this isn't new. Dave didn't make this up when the UK press started reporting these attacks. And this is what some people seem to think. So Bully Watch also posted a rebuttal on our subreddit responding to my story. I'm not going to address all their claims because some of it is irrelevant or it's just a matter of opinion. So like they criticized me for not talking about dog-on-dog violence, but that's not actually why the dogs are being banned in the UK. And I imagine the same limitations on data collection that I spoke about on the show apply there, maybe even more so. And some of what they said is just reemphasizing what they already said. For instance, about Killer Kimbo, that's the dog they say is the forefather of half the bullies in the UK. They think the paper trail or internet trail, I should say, is reliable. I don't. They did concede, though not overtly, that perhaps Dave Wilson isn't actually lying about the history of the breed and his desire to create a more docile, lower energy dog after all. So this isn't mentioned in their own history of the breed that they published on their website. But in their rebuttal, they say, quote, Dave Wilson may have set out to create a companion dog, but can the same be true of all the other breeders who followed in his footsteps? 
And it's a good point. I'm guessing there are plenty of bad breeders out there. I even talked about one on the show. Granted, it was the one who Bully Watch cited as evidence that Dave Wilson is a shitbag, but it turned out that this breeder in particular, he was kicked out of the kennel club for abusing animals and selling bad sperm. But yeah, I mean, clearly there are bad breeders out there. I would never argue that shitty, irresponsible backyard breeders don't exist. They obviously do. Of course, we don't have any idea how common this actually is, and Bully Watch hasn't provided any estimates, so I won't speculate on the prevalence in the UK. Lawrence thinks it's quite high and that this is the source of the killer bullies. So Lawrence's argument is that something happened when these dogs got imported to the UK in like 2013, 2014, and now 10 years later, they've got this problem with killer bullies, and so they need to be banned. And I can see why they feel this way. I mean, for 30 years... Since the passage of the Dangerous Dogs Act in 1991, there have been few pit bulls in the UK. And all of a sudden, there's this influx of dogs that look like pits. A lot of them have cropped ears. They look scary. And that coincides with an increase in dog attacks, at least over the past two years. So the question is, is that correlation or is it causation? They think it's obviously causal. I think the data is insufficient. What about the actual critiques, like specific critiques from Bully Watch? Which are the ones sort of most worth responding to, do you think? Okay, so I'll just start at the top. Here's what they wrote on the on our subreddit. Katie rightly mentions that the UK media has been using our figures and that this has led to misinterpretations. The 43% figure from our website has been circulated by the media without the necessary caveats. It represents 43% of incidents on social media platforms where individuals either self-reported the dog in question or there's a picture allowing a dog to be visually identified. Okay, so let me explain that figure. This is something that was reported a lot in the media. It was that 43% of of dog attacks came from these bullies. So, Jesse, I'm going to send you a link to their website. This is the main landing page, bullywatch.link. Please describe what you see here. So there's a, a picture of a menacing, drooling bully XL uh, with his pal. And then there's these four boxes with numbers, 14 deaths, 11 confirmed human deaths caused by bully XL since 2021, and three suspected us, 351 documented attacks by large bully breeds this year alone. 43% of all attacks this year have been caused by large bully breeds. 435%. There's been a 435% increase in dog attacks since 2013. So I'm noticing that 43% of all attacks uh, stat is not hedged. It's stated very sort of authoritatively. Right. So if you're going to complain that the media is circulating your stats without the necessary caveats, you might not want to advertise those stats in a huge font on the main page of your website without the necessary caveats. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying don't circulate that without the necessary caveats, but they're the cause of that because that's what they're doing. Right. And if you dig into it, you can see their methodology. They're talking about they they came to this figure by analyzing posts on Facebook and Nextdoor, but you have to dig for that. And as you know, that's not how the media works. Somebody reports something, somebody else sees it and reports it, and it's this game of telephone. And eventually all nuance, all caveats are lost. Okay, so let's talk about those stats for a second. There are all sorts of difficulties in collecting breed-level data on dog bites in general, not just on social media, even from hospitals. So this week I spoke to a very experienced researcher on dog bites, someone who explained why it's so difficult, and to massively simplify it, they're largely based on self-reports, and oftentimes if it's a strange dog, people don't know the breed, or even if it's their own dog, people lie. So this researcher brought up the example of a big beefy dude who gets bitten by a chihuahua, and then he goes to the hospital, and he's embarrassed that this little dog bit him, and so he says it was a Rottweiler. So even getting breed-level data from hospitals is really difficult and unreliable, and I'll link to a study on the unreliability of reports from healthcare providers themselves in the show notes if any 
but he's curious. So when it comes to what BullyWatch did, which is collect data from Facebook and Nextdoor, their data is even less reliable. So in the rebuttal to me, BullyWatch says, quote, We always knew that some dogs might be mistakenly categorized. However, as our sample size grew to now over 800, we felt discrepancies would correct themselves over time. Now, That's not really how that works. Exactly. So I'm not a mathematician. I took football math in college. But I'm pretty sure more bad data does not make a data set more reliable. We'll come back to that in a second. But I sort of brushed over why this data is so flawed on the last show. So I want to get a little bit more into that here. So basically... Their methods have introduced bias into the process. So, for instance, people who post on Facebook about a dog bite may have had a particularly severe bite or a bite from a particularly hated or unique breed. So the sample doesn't accurately reflect the overall prevalence and nature of dog bites. So that's the first thing. That's the one Bully Watch acknowledges on their website. They say something like, if you're nipped by a Frenchie, you're less likely to post about it. This is true. We talked about that on the last show. But there are other biases as well that they didn't mention. So, for instance, recall bias. So if a bite occurred a while back, people might misremember it. We already know how unreliable witnesses or even victims of human crimes are when it comes to identifying their own perpetrators. And here we're talking about dogs, which I imagine makes it even harder. Uh, There's also media bias. So there are all these stories in the news about American bully XL bites, and all of a sudden people start reporting more of them. They start seeing them everywhere. So a dog that might have looked like a pit or a Rottweiler last week all of a sudden looks like an American bully this week because now people are primed to see American bullies. And this leads to this cycle where more reports of, for instance, American bully XL attacks are themselves going to lead to an increase of reports in American bully attacks. We've talked about this in other contexts on the show, but the end result is that people end up assuming that rare events are more common than they actually are, and the media is a big part of that. So another Byte researcher told me, it's all based on media trends, and the media will only be interested in the most high-profile attacks. This is true of all dog fatalities. I mean, the idea of being mauled by a dog is so horrifying. I, I, I cannot think of many scarier ways to die other than maybe being eaten by a pack of rabid squirrels. But it's extremely rare in both the U.S. and the U.K. And that is one of the reasons it's so newsworthy when it happens. So how rare are we talking? So there are between 30 and 50 fatalities from dog bites in the U.S. each year. That's out of a population of around 330 million. This also includes not just deaths from a bite itself, but also deaths from sepsis. And there are around three deaths a year in the U.K. from dog attacks, although there were 10 last year and this year there have been seven, which Bully Watch attributes to the increase in the population of American bullies. Uh, That's out of a population of around 67 million. And the number of attacks that don't kill people are, of course, much, much higher. And it's very traumatic to be attacked by a dog. And it has a sort of terrorizing effect where one newsworthy attack freaks people out and it makes us think, that could have been me. I mean, a friend of my sister's had her face ripped apart by a dog years ago and needed reconstructive surgery. And that kept me from strange dogs for a good long while. Was that dog a bully? A lab, actually. They come up surprisingly often in the bite data. Um And as I said on the last show, the fact that there's no good breed level data out there, this isn't Bully Watch's fault. They're doing the best they can with what limited data they have. And I'm so impressed with what they've managed to accomplish. They've worked super hard on this. They're getting shit done. And they've been more transparent about the limitations of their data than most activist groups are, even if the media ignores that. But still, unless what you are specifically looking for is data on publicly available, unverified, self-reported dog bites from Nextdoor and Facebook, 
their stat, that stat, it's basically worthless. And you don't have to take my word for it. I took algebra twice, <laughs> but I did ask a researcher in the field. I said, if there's a bias in the data set, will increasing the number of data points in that set correct for the bias? This is what Bully Watch has claimed in their rebuttal to me. Here's what this person said. It's a massive error to think biases correct themselves over time. They probably get worse as the circle of bias continues. I mean, the way this works is like if you have like a truly, if you're picking from a truly random sample of Americans and your first 10 people you pick are disproportionately white, over time that will correct itself because like error is random. But if you're picking quote unquote random Americans from a very white town, that bias won't correct itself because the, 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 there's like bias pointing in one direction. It's not random. Exactly. So I, I wanted to check this with a general stats person, someone who isn't in the dog world. So I wrote to seven stats professors at the University of Washington and asked them if more data points would correct for the bias. Three of them wrote back and they said, in short, no. So let me quote you from one email. The scenario you described suffers from being a mix of voluntary sampling and convenience sampling, both of which are known to introduce bias. As such, collecting more data will simply exaggerate the bias. Here's another one. If you don't change the way you are sampling or collecting the data, there is no reason why getting a larger sample will get you a more representative sample of the entire population of dog bites. Yeah, I mean, this is just, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm okay with stats. These guys know much more, but this is a very basic point. If you have, if Facebook is biased for collecting these incidents accurately, and I think there's a lot of good reasons to think it is, then no, simply collecting more of them through the same method will not reduce the bias. Right. So that was just dog bites in general. There's also the matter of counting fatalities. So Bully Watch says in their report that American bullies or bully types were responsible for 73% of fatalities from the start of 2022 until August 2023 when their report was published. And in that report, they cite Wikipedia. So if you go to the Wikipedia page now and you look up the numbers, you'll see that there were 15 dog attack, fatal dog attacks in that period. Of those 15, Wikipedia says that four were American Bully XLs, one was either an XL or a Mastiff, and one was an XL and a Cane Corso cross. So let's just be generous and include all of those dogs as American Bully XLs. That's 6 out of 15. That's 40%. If you aren't generous and you only count XL bullies, that's 26%. So don't get me wrong. 40% is a lot. 40% is huge. Even 26% is huge. But the stat that Bully Watch pushed and that the media repeated was 73%, and their own sources don't reflect this. Okay, yeah. So what, what? how do you account for that error? What happened? Okay, so we wanted to figure out what was going on. So Trace got back in touch with Bully Watch. Here's how they explained it. So first of all, they used an older version of the Wikipedia page. So that one erroneously attributed atta an attack in January 2023 on a dog walker to an American Bully XL. It was later revised to a pit bull. And by the way, although it was determined that the owner's pit bull killed her. She also had an American bully, and they put that one down too. So that's the first thing. This wasn't duplicitous. They were just searching a while back when the data wasn't updated. But when we're talking about numbers this low, even one erroneous case can skew the data. And besides that, Bully Watch doesn't just include American bullies or bully XLs or even pits in their stats. They also include American bulldogs and unconfirmed cases. So unconfirmed but suspected American bullies. Sort of. So here's here's one of the Wikipedia entries attached to an unconfirmed uh, case. 51-year-old Wayne Stevens died at the scene of the incident on Cameron Road at Derby. Officers were called to the property at 5.50 a.m. Gary Stevens of Cameron Road Derby has been remanded into custody and is due to appear, blah, blah, blah. So if you go to the source uh, on Wikipedia, it's an article in the Derbyshire, 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 how do you say that word? I think Derbyshire. 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 I think that's right. 
Tebesha, Telegraph, and there's no mention of the type of dog. If you go to the police statement, no indication of the type of the dog. If you Google it, you won't find stories saying, actually, yeah, it was a bully XL. Same thing with the other unconfirmed case that they count as a bully. That one doesn't even have the name of the victim, and there's no indication of the breed. Some of this does have to do with British uh, reporting laws that we don't need to get into. Now, one of the guys from Bully Watch told Trace that he thought that they typed these dogs, these unconfirmed dogs, by consulting a a dog typing expert to confirm that these were, in fact, bullies by using press photos. So I searched high and low for press photos of these dogs, couldn't find any myself. So Trace went back to them, and the guy from Bully Watch said, actually, it wasn't press photos. It was a comment from one of the victim's brothers on Facebook saying that the dog was an XL in a cane corso. And he also said that someone connected to the movement has been attending the trial, and that this person also says that it's an XL in a cane corso cross. They had no information on the other unconfirmed case. So when you include Pipples, Bulldogs, American Bullies, Mixed Breeds, and dogs that may or may not be bullies, you get 11 out of 15 or 73.3%. That's how they got that number. And why do they include bulldogs in that? I thought regular bulldogs were just another breed and not really part of this. So Trace asked them about this because it is it is weird. American bulldogs are not pits or pit types. They do look sort of similar, but they descended from English bulldogs, not pits. So it's a totally different breed. But And Bully Watch said, well, that's how the Royal Society for the Protection of Animals and Dogs Trust do it when they're grouping dogs. So that's what we did. And to their credit, their report does say American bullies and bully types. So they're not lying. But in the game of telephone from Wikipedia to Bully Watch to the UK press, this became 73% of fatalities are due to American bullies. Okay, gotcha. So it's like a, a combination of different dog breeds. Right. Okay, there's one more stat I want to talk about. And I didn't mention this on the last show, but since we're talking about the reliability of the data, let's get into it. So Bully Watch claims that there's been a 435% increase in dog attacks in the UK since 2013. And that corresponds with the introduction of the American bully to the UK. They're making a causal claim here. American bully introduced to the UK, dog attacks go up, therefore, American bully equals attack. But what they don't say is that while it is true that dog attacks have increased since 2013, they actually started increasing in at least the the early 2000s, maybe even earlier. This was well before the introduction of the American bully to the UK. And you know what else increased over that time period, Jesse? Home delivery of goods. Now, I'm not saying that the increase in people ordering shit from Amazon directly led to the increase in dog bites in the UK because I I can't say that. That would be inferring causality where it might not exist, which is something we should try to avoid doing. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, so what do you think like the critics got right about uh, your treatment of the subject? Okay, so here's one example. I talked about the case of Jack Liss. He was this 10-year-old boy who was killed in Wales in 2021 by what was, according to the police, an American bully XL. Actually, first they said it was a pit, then they said it was an XL. So I use that case as an example of how difficult it is to identify the breed responsible for a dog bite. No other reason that this was the first case that Lawrence Newport cited in his blog post that kicked this off. And I said that I wrote to the local police and I asked how they ID'd the dog and they didn't have an answer for me and they seemed confused by the question. What I didn't say and should have was that a press release they put out at the time of the, of the killing said that they confirmed the breed using a dog legislation officer. So I did see that when I was researching, but I assume that the dog legislation officer was just a cop in that department. 
It was not. It was an outside investigator with, with another police department. And this is a person who specializes in seizing prohibited dogs and is trained on identifying banned breeds. So I was wrong about that. It was not in-house police. And it was someone who was specifically trained. Uh, also, Sam Bowman said that I should have spoken to a dog, li- a dog legislation officer. I agree with that. I should have. So this was an oversight on my part. For what it's worth, after the show aired, I did get an answer to the question that I asked on the show, which was, how did the police identify the dog? So the first time I wrote to the police, I said, I said, do you get the dog's pedigree? Do you do a DNA test? And they didn't respond. After the show came out, I wrote to them again. And this time I got an answer. No pedigree, no DNA, which is what I expected. They did a visual identification. And as I mentioned last week, the problem with a visual identification is that it has been shown through study after study to be inexact. So for instance, the National Canine Association did a literature review on this. I'm going to read you one sentence on this. Quote, research indicates that even experts have very little agreement when visually confirming the background of dogs of unknown origin. So even experts have trouble identifying these dogs. Of course, these dog legislation officers are trained to do this. They're not just random vets. They're trained to do this. And presumably they had the body or what was left of it after the dog was shot to death. But one of the dog bite researchers that I spoke to told me that even in court, you'll see two different DLOs, so two different dog legislation experts, people are trained on this, disagreeing with each other over a particular dog's breed. It's just not an exact science. Uh, I also corresponded with the head of a personal injury department at a law firm that specializes in recovering compensation for dog bite victims. And he said, quote, my firm is currently dealing with about 400 dog-related claims, and not one relates to an XL bully. We have clients who believe they were attacked by an XL bully, but on further investigation, it turns out that the dog was, for example, a large Staffordshire Terrier. Is that an American lawyer or British? No, it's British. So what has Bullywatch said about this problem of how to actually ID the dogs involved in attacks? Well, publicly nothing. Uh, After the show aired, Lawrence Newport told Trace that they're aware of the flaws of visual identification. There's no mention of that in their literature. But Lawrence did say that they would be happy to, to move to DNA tests instead of visual ID. So we're in agreement that that would definitely be much better. Um, And the DNA, that's another thing I should have been clearer about in the episode. So I talked about the difficulty in using DNA tests to determine a dog-specific variant of American Bully and how a DNA test would not be able to say, this dog is an American Bully XL, this dog is is an American Bully, a pocket-sized American Bully. But I should have emphasized that even though there's a lot of genetic overlap between American Bullies and other variations of pits, they're different enough so that DNA tests can tell them apart. So this week, I went back to Adam Boyko. He's the Cornell researcher who studies dog genetics and who founded Embark. That's the doggy DNA company. And he said, quote, American bullies originated by crossing American pit bull terriers and American Staffordshire terriers, which makes it challenging for a DNA test to determine whether a dog is an American bully or simply a different pit mix. However, that breed has been around for two decades, which is enough time for a unique genetic signature to arise. So top-of-the-line tests should be able to determine whether a dog clusters genetically with bullies or whether it is a different type of pit mix. So apologies for the confusion there as well. While people might not be able to tell them apart, a good DNA test will even if it can't tell you if a dog is a pocket size or an XL. Although, you should be able to tell that with just your eyes. Yeah, you shouldn't need DNA for that. Now, as the law currently stands, DNA doesn't actually matter. The law doesn't mention genes or DNA or genetics at all. What matters is how a dog looks. So I looked at the guide that officers use to determine that a dog is a band type, specifically a pit. There's a long list of characteristics to look for, like its head should be wedge-shaped from the side, its coat should be bristled, it should have the mark of the beast between its eyes, stuff (laughs) like that. 
But it also says that while a substantial number of traits should fit these metrics, quote, the law does not require a sus- suspected pit bull terrier to fit the description perfectly. So basically, if it looks like a pit, it is one. And while bullies don't currently fall under that category, Bully Watch's argument is that they should or that they should have their own category added to the ban list, and it looks like they'll probably get their way. So as I said on the show last week, I'm agnostic on breed bans in general. My point wasn't to argue either for the ban or against the ban, which frankly, I just I don't feel qualified to do that. I wanted to point out how muddy the actual data is on dog attacks, how activists harness it to promote their agenda, and how much of the UK media just eats it up without doing any kind of due diligence, and how this, in turn, influences public opinion and public policy. This has been a recurring theme on this show. It's just that this time it wasn't about trans kids, it was about dogs, which was somehow, I don't know how, more controversial. I do think there's a tendency where, like, when people point out something is more complicated than a lot of folks believe it is, uh, folks automatically assume they're, like, on the other side in some essentialist way. But was there anything else you thought your critics got right? Yeah, definitely. There were a lot of nuances of British life that I missed. Like, when I talked to Lawrence, he told me that they don't have leash laws in London, which seems awesome to Moose, but absolutely batshit crazy to me. And he said that sometimes you'll come out of the tube and there's just a massive hound running around, which seems like it might be the first thing the government might might want to address when there's been a rash of a dog t- attacks. I don't know. Uh, so in general, I wish I'd had a better handle of, of the UK. I wish I'd talked to Lauren sooner. I did talk to a bunch of Brits. I also had two British guys who work in the field who do dog stuff, listen to the show before it aired. But still, I do wish that I'd talked to him. He and I had emailed and DM or DM'd, I don't remember which. But I think that speaking with him would have given me a better understanding of what it's like to live in that kind of chaos and how that informs him and how it informs Bully Watch. I mean, we occasionally have cougars in my neighborhood, but I've never been truly afraid that I'm going to get attacked by a giant dog when I leave the house. And I, I think at some point, I sort of lost sight of the actual people involved. Like, a lot of people also said that I should have spoken to a victim. So I wish I'd done that. And I'm sure there's a million other things people think I should have done differently. Number one being, don't fucking touch this. I definitely agree with that. Never again. Only racism in the online pumpkin carving community from me from now on. Why do you think you should have spoken to a victim? I think it would have made me more sympathetic in a way. I think I have a tendency... I'm neurodivergent. I don't know if you know this, but I have a tendency to, to come across as sort of unsympathetic and callous. I'm I'm not. I'm actually very sensitive. I'm also neurodivergent that way. But I think it just would have given me a, a better perspective. Um, and it also would have armed me against the criticism that I didn't speak to a victim. Yeah. I mean, there's a pragmatic argument. And I, if you're if you're producing like a <laughs> long radio documentary rather than a podcast, of course, you speak to a victim. I just I'm not sure by. Sure. We can't. We can't subjectively understand what it'd be like to be mauled by a dog, but everyone agrees that that's pretty terrible and horrific. Anyway. I'm I'm sure someone has that fetish. Okay, so big picture, you said on the last show you think American bullies have gotten a bad rap. Do you you still endorse that sentiment? I've been thinking a lot about this. This is what's keeping me up at night. Maybe you can help me muddle through this, Jesse. Okay, so I don't think that I'm wrong in the data being inadequate. When you take into consideration the flaws in the data collection, including in Bully Watch's data, and the problems with accurately identifying these dogs, and this is not a small thing at all. I just told you about a law, a law firm that specializes in dog bites, and they don't have a single case of a bully bite out of 400 cases, despite clients thinking that they were attacked by bullies. People really cannot tell these dogs apart. Yeah. So if you weigh all that, 
plus the, the breed history, the fact that they were bred to be docile, how few documented attacks there are in the U.S., and then you weigh that against Bullywatch's claims about the foundational dogs in the U.K. over there being violent, and the media and the public and the government all saying, these dogs are dangerous, it's obvious, you fucking yank, we're here, we can see it. I just, I, I don't know. Both sides are biased. One side, the breeders and owners, are biased in favor of the dogs. The other side, they're biased against them. The first side has tons of direct experience with the dog. The other side has very little direct experience with them, but they are equally convinced about the fundamental temperament of these dogs. And because these dogs have never actually been studied in any capacity, we don't have a third party to say, here's what's up. So in light of everything that I've learned in my research and from absorbing everyone's feedback, my conclusion, I guess, this is so unsatisfying, but it's just we don't have enough information. So I guess that's where I'm at right now. I know this is not a satisfying answer, but it's it's true. I do think the UK needs to move to DNA testing rather than visual ID. That would clear up a lot of cases of mistaken identity, and it would give us a much better sense of what dogs are genuinely overrepresented in attacks. Plus, I can't imagine that it would be all that more costly than like training and employing cops to eyeball a dog's skull shape and write a report about it. Yeah. So that would be really helpful for data collection, even if the tests can't sell, tell specific varieties. So I guess that's where I land here. More and better research is needed. I guess to quote a, a middling podcaster, it's complicated. Can I? Can that be my answer? Sounds like a wise middling podcaster, whoever you're referring to. I also, so I'm not sure anyone actually complained about this, but I wish I'd spent a bit more time thinking about and talking about the element of class in this. So Lawrence Newport, he shared a video of, on Twitter of bully owners marching for their dogs. And you can see from that event that this really does concern the British underclass, or at least people wearing tracksuits. <laughs> Uh, I, I do think that's really another very interesting element of this story and one that I should have paid more attention to. I'll post the video in the show notes if people want to check it out. Or maybe I'm all wrong here and Brits all sound like they walked off a Guy Ritchie set. It's been a while since I've been there. Yeah, man, class. I'm be more class reductionist. Class is everything. Apparently. I forgot. So the last thing I want to say is that there is a group of international experts in this field working on a rebuttal to the Bully Watch report that they will submit to the UK government as part of the government's fact-finding mission in advance of the proposed ban. So I'm very curious to see that, although I'm guessing it will get a fraction as much attention as Bully Watch has. I do not think they will be invited on Good Morning Britain. Uh, and honestly, even if they were, they would be absolutely crazy to go. Uh, some of these anti-pit people can be very tenacious, much like a certain breed of dog with a cat in its mouth. <laughs> Oh, and even if for whatever reason the government is like, uh, actually, whoops, take back, bad idea, never mind, we're not going to do it, this doesn't seem unlikely, but even if they were, the announcement alone is having an impact. So I talked to a Bully Watch rescue in the UK this week who said that since Rishi Sunak's announcement, they've been overwhelmed with requests, quote, it's a tragic situation, and as a result, I would say that the rescue has gone beyond crisis with an average of five to ten requests to surrender an hour. Oy. We are starting to see bully breeds simply being abandoned. And we ourselves recently received a poor bitch who had just been dumped in the woods to whelp. She survived after emergency surgery, but 40 percent of the pups died either at the site of the birth or soon after. So that's not great. Uh, people should probably stop dumping their dogs. Yeah. I wish I had a job where I could say bitch just as like part of my. <laughs> you do. You can say bitch whenever you want. Oh, yeah. I call you a bitch constantly. 
that's yeah that's the dog dumping thing is very sad i guess to the people who hate these dogs like that's good let them die they want them to die so <laughs> i i mean i asked lawrence newport about this i don't think he feels good about people dumping dogs either no. he doesn't like these dogs i don't think he wants them to suffer well also if they're dangerous you don't want to just dump them in a random place even the woods true they could turn radioactive and get even worse they're pissed at you now you dumped them exactly Okay, so this has been quite a roller coaster over here. Uh, it has been a while since the weight of the internet was on my shoulders. It really brought me back to the time I tweeted that maybe instead of going to therapy, people should volunteer at a soup kitchen every once in a while. Um, but seriously, this has not been fun. I don't like arguing. I really don't like arguing with friends and listeners. And I really have tried to consider people's points and take them to heart this week. So there's definitely some things I regret about the last episode, and there's some things I got right. And I genuinely want to thank everyone who left thoughtful comments, even if you disagreed with me. And even more so, I want to thank everyone who did not cancel their subscription and then performatively announce it on Twitter. Really, thank you all for sticking around, even when we say things you disagree with, even when Jesse talks about Slay the Spire. And to everyone who said I'm just blinded by my dog-loving lesbianism, come on, I only like boy dogs. Do better. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like about a community is people are able to disagree. And I guess you heard from some people who claim to have stormed off in a huff. The numbers don't seem to reflect that. But uh, no, this is a really tough subject. I thought you did a good job on it. I thought you did a good job responding to the critics. So let's um, next week we'll do something that's not about dogs or furries. Yeah, I really do not want to have to do a rebuttal to the rebuttal of the rebuttal next week. Let us, let us close this chapter. Before you send Katie hate mail, Remember, she will do another episode on this. I will. Yeah, consider that. Okay, Jesse, on a more positive note, we have a new researcher in the Barpod family. Are we a family? Yes. Yes. Like a bunch of step siblings. Not legally, but yeah. Yes. So she is great. We are calling her Jessica because she felt like that was a name that adequately conveyed that she is an 80s baby. That is not her name. Nobody who, who works for her us. Her legal name is Brianna Wu. <laughs> nobody who works for us wants their actual identities known. Um, but she's great. You've actually heard some of her work before. She helped us out with some of my favorite episodes, including Carrie Jade Williams, Jack Monroe, the one about the crazy, like an Indian dress that people freaked out about because it was a white person in India. Anyway, she is great. We are so excited to have her. And so you will be hearing uh, more from her in the future. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you very much, Katie, again, for all of this. Uh, this has been Blocked Reported. We are produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and Jessica, the 80s baby. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, I think I just heard another leak. And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, everybody just buy a fucking doodle. <laughs> <laughs>